So Buna asked me to, um, he, he let me know that you guys are focusing on a theme this week, and the theme is found in Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 25, but we're going to read 21 to 26, and then we'll go from there. So that's Romans chapter 3, 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now this is the key verse, whom God set forth as propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Glory be to God forever. Amen. St. Paul is awesome. I feel like he's standing in front of God and he's looking at the person of Christ and he's looking at everything that we're looking at this week and there's one thing that stands out to St. Paul. I don't know if you noticed how many times he talks about the righteousness of God. God is righteous. God is good. God is right. He's right. He is perfect. He is the way. He shows us the course of what it really means to be. So he says that, that, that everything that we are talking about this week and looking at this week is that God is righteous and he reveals his righteousness by freely forgiving us by passing over our sins, by being our propitiation. Uh, I, I know, Abuna, you talked about propitiation yesterday. The Greek word for propitiation is, is um, elastirion, which is only used, I think, twice in the New Testament. The only other time it's used is in Hebrews, and it's, it's uh, with regards to the mercy seat. In the Old Testament, that word, propitiation, is about the mercy seat that covered the Ark of the Covenant. So as I read this passage over and over and over, it became clear to me how obsessed I have been in my life with my own righteousness. Thinking that I need to approach God and somehow offer Him some sort of gift of righteousness so that he can be impressed with my goodness and then I can approach him. That somehow I can come to him and like gain his favor and and when I sin I feel the opposite, I feel incredible amounts of shame and I feel like, like how can I do this? And I realize that sometimes our model 
uh, or our approach to God is, is a, a pagan approach. You see, in the, old, in, in the olden days, in, in the kind of pagan way of doing things, God was angry. And you had to do all these offerings to approach Him. You had to be righteous in order to approach Him. But today we see St. Paul saying something completely different. He's saying that it is God who is righteous. It is God who is good. It is God who is the one that we need to be concerned with. And we often think of our approach to God, but, but the reality is that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated His love for us and His righteousness by, by laying His life down for us, by becoming our redemption while we were yet sinners. This is all great theology and ideas, but there's two passages I really want to focus on tonight that I feel really uh, capture this. The first is in Luke chapter 7. It's the lady who walks in. Uh, the, the Lord Jesus has a, um, a meal with a Pharisee, and the Pharisee really feels good about himself. He's approaching God with his own righteousness. He has Jesus over, and then this lady walks in who is a sinner. No righteousness. She had nothing going for her. She approaches, and she comes, and she starts washing his feet with her tears, drying them with her hair. And the Pharisee, who has a pagan understanding, who has the, this idea that we have to be righteous in order to please God, looks at the woman and says, if he only knew what kind of woman this is that is touching him, what is he doing? He's excluding himself from sin. He's saying, unlike me, who am righteous, this woman has no right to approach him. I mean, the guy probably didn't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He probably didn't even believe that he was God, but he knew he was like a good person, a prophet maybe. But if he, if he had the sense that this was actually God sitting at his table, what would he, what would he have said? How dare this woman come and approach God? And the Lord gives this beautiful story. He says to him, Simon, I have a question for you. He says there were two, and you know how it goes, this story, there were two people who owed this massive debt. One owed 500 and one owed 50. And the key here is, he says, and neither of them had anything with which to repay him. You see, in the passage that we read in Romans chapter 3, he says, For all fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. No one can stand before God and say, I have something with which to repay you. I'm approaching the mercy seat. I'm approaching the throne of God based on something that I have to offer. I have nothing. And yet we strive so hard in our churches to have something to appear to have something. And when we don't, we kind of feel bad, but then we, we you know, try to improve ourselves and try to draw close to God with our own righteousness. Jesus is clear. He says, they had nothing with which to repay. And then the next line just is so beautiful because this is the propitiation. He says, he freely 
forgave them both. Do you believe tonight, do you believe that you have been freely forgiven everything? Do you believe that Jesus is sufficient, that his redemption, that his offering is sufficient to cover all of your sins? Or do you still feel like you need to do something or depend on your own righteousness or your own goodness so that he can approve of you? You see, that's not good news. If you still believe that you have something to do and something to offer, something that that you can somehow win his favor, then that's bad news. Because you're going to fail. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if you, if you put your faith, and the word here, faith, means more than just belief, guys. It means more than kind of like some sort of rational, you know, discussion of the existence of God. The demons believe. That's not faith. Faith is putting your trust in, 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 in God's ability to pass over your sins. Faith is to put your trust in the righteousness of God, not in your own righteousness. And the Lord goes on to say that the one, he asks Simon, which one will love him more? And he says the one who is forgiven more. The second passage I want to kind of share with you is in the, in the Song of Solomon. See, the Song of Solomon is this beautiful poem about love. And it's, it's, uh, it's the story of uh, a lady, she's called the Sholemite, and Solomon the king. And I remember in, in 98, I, we were, I was coming back with Abuna John from Africa, and we were talking to, to um, uh, Ambabulis, and he was telling us, listen, this is how you read the Song of Solomon. He, says, he said, you have to read it in a way where the, the, the beloved or, or King Solomon is the Lord Jesus. And the Shulamite woman who's in love with him and, and he's in love with her is your soul. It's the human soul. So he said, read it that way. Read it as a love story between the two. So, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. This is the Shulamite who's speaking. She says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, open for me my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. We still think that we are the ones pursuing God. We are the ones thinking that we are running after God, as though through some of our own effort, our own righteousness, we're going to go and approach God. The reality is, while we were yet sinners, the Lord gave himself up to, sh- to reveal his righteousness. And so here we have the beloved knocking and saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. It is the love of God. It is the righteousness of God that makes us perfect. We are not perfect in our, on our own. We are not good on our own. But it is His love and His eyes and His way that transforms us 
to be perfect in his eyes. He's the one that makes us right. He is the one that makes us just. He is the just justifying us. Now, here's this beautiful invitation. He's coming, he's knocking on the door. And this is the answer of the Shulamite. And is this not so often our answer to the love of God? She says, I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? What is she really saying? She's saying, I've taken off my robe. I'm in shame. I've already washed my feet. I can't dirty them again. I, I can't approach you that way. As though it was about that. As though it was about our own goodness. Lord, the Lord is knocking on the door of our heart and we're saying, I don't know. I don't think I'm really good enough. As though it's about us. My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers were liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. So the soul that is still stuck in believing that it needs to be good to approach God will not find him. Look at what happens. Look at the transformation that happens in the Shulamite. She realizes how beautiful and how righteous her beloved is. So this is what she does. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am lovesick. Wait a second. Shalomite, you didn't even want to walk to the, to the door because you didn't want to dirty your feet. You didn't want to put your robe on. Now you're going around like a crazy woman with your veil being taken away, beaten up. And what is she saying? What is she saying? If you see the one I love, tell him I am lovesick. And the poem goes on and the passage goes on where they tell her, her friends tell her, what is your beloved more than any other beloved? And she answers and she has an answer. She responds, my beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves. And she goes on and on and on. The point to all of this is this. Is your spiritual life, is your journey about how awesome and good and righteous you are or are trying to be? Or is your spiritual life, is your journey the recognition that your beloved is lovely, that he's beautiful, that he is, he is the one that is righteous, he is the one that is good, and his love for you is what covers you? Are you lovesick? 
has his propitiation, has his redemption, has his love on the cross so wounded you that you are lovesick, that you are in love with him and that you see that he is right and he is good. And whatever the cost, I don't care anymore. I don't care about my feet getting dirty. I don't care about my shame. I don't care about anything except that I be with the one that I love. If you see the one that I love, would you tell him that I am lovesick? Is God still a distant authority that you feel like you need to answer to? Or is he the beloved who's knocking on your heart, who's given you his love, his life, who's wounded you with his love for you? I believe that it is only in knowing his mercy and knowing his offering for us that we ourselves can be justified. When we believe that he loves us, when we believe that he's pursuing us, when we believe that he is good and that he's given his life for us, then we will be transformed. But what are we going to be transformed into? Who are we going to end up looking like? If he is righteous, if he is righteousness, if he is like the model of what it means to be, if if his righteousness is revealed by his self-emptying, self-forgetting and self-denying love, we will be transformed into his image. We will become self-emptying, self-forgetting, self-denying love. This is how we are justified, by becoming like the one who loved us and justified us. St. John Chrysostom, I'm going to close with this quote. St. John Chrysostom talks about the, the, the like. The, the desire that God has for us, how he pursues us, and how he wants to be everything for us. So I'm going to close with this quote. And he's, this is St. John Chrysostom speaking as though he is Christ to us. He says, I am father, I am brother, I am bridegroom, I am dwelling place, I am food, I am raiment, I am foundation, all whatsoever you desire, I am be in need of nothing. I will, I will be even a servant. For I came to minister, not to be ministered to. I am friend and member and head and brother and sister and mother. I am all. Only cling closely to me. I was poor for thee and a wanderer for thee on the cross for thee. In the tomb for thee, above I intercede for thee on earth, I am come for thy sake, an ambassador from my father. And then he, he flips it around and says, so he's saying, I am all this to you, just like need nothing but me. And then he, he turns it around and he says, you are all things to me. How beautiful is he? How righteous is our God? You are all things to me, brother and joint heir and friend and member. What more do you want? Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.